All right. Well, um, I again uh, am thankful for the opportunity to be able to teach tonight via Zoom. Uh, physically, uh, I am struggling a little bit with my abilities to walk, and um, I just, you know, I my first thought was just that I just wouldn't teach anymore. Um, but um, God just kept saying to me, no, you can do this. And so um, I'm so thankful for Dave and Dana and different ones who were able to pull this together so that I would have the opportunity uh, to teach tonight. And I'm thankful for you coming and thankful for you being here and being a part of this lesson. Uh, I want to welcome you again to our fourth session of our study of the Sermon on the Mount. Um, we're going to pick up tonight in the middle of those six topics, uh, you know, that we started back in November. Uh, Jesus began these topics, if you'll, I'll do just a little bit of a review so that we can kind of catch ourselves up. Remember that in, as he began these topics, that um, he would say, you have heard it said, meaning that this is what the Pharisees said, but then he would go on to say, but this is what I say. And so uh, Jesus was very careful uh, as he started um, talking about these topics to preface them to make sure that his followers understood that he wasn't changing anything, that he wasn't abolishing the law, but he was affirming the law. Uh, he was giving them a new perspective on something that was already familiar to them. So then in our second session, when we met in, uh, in October, we covered the Beatitudes. And here we learned what it looked like to be a follower of Christ. And so uh, when we met in November, we talked the first three topics were murder, adultery, and um, divorce. And so this month, we'll continue on with that. Our next three topics will be oaths, retaliation, or taking revenge, and loving our enemies. And so this should be very interesting tonight is as we pick up uh, with oath making. We're going to start tonight with, uh, in Matthew chapter 5, beginning with verse 33. So if you have your Bible and you want to read along with me, we'll start in verse 33. It says, again, you have heard that it was said by those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an, an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for, for that is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say simply be yes or no. Anything more comes from evil. So in the same way, what we find here is in the same way as in when we met in November and we, we talked about marriage, the Pharisees uh, were looking for a loophole, a way that they could get out of marriage. And they, they used this certificate of divorce to do this. Well, we're finding the same thing here. In order to get out of a promise or uh, go back on what they had initially uh, promised, you know, they found out that they could just, or they decided they could use just uh, some some very careful wording uh, so that, you know, if they wanted to get out of whatever it was that they had promised, then they could wiggle out of it. Uh, the point, the whole point of this, though, is that the Pharisees were more concerned with the appearance of loving God and the appearance of being obedient to God than they were having a heart to please God. That's the bottom line. I think that we should all take a look 
at this very closely. We need to look in the mirror ourselves. I think if we're honest, uh, we have all, at some time or other, been guilty of being more concerned with the appearance of honoring God than actually honoring God. It's like checking the boxes. I can, I, we, I've checked, I've done this, 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 I've checked, but I'm good. Most likely during this time, you know, it was sort of fashionable for the Pharisees to, when they um, made a promise, you know, that they would, uh, you know, I, I swear on the temple, I swear uh, in he- by heaven, I swear by God, you know, anytime they made any kind of a promise. But keep in mind, as we're studying this, the Sermon on the Mount, the Sermon on the Mount took place very early in Jesus's ministry. But then by the time we get to Matthew chapter 23, we find ourselves at the end of Jesus's ministry, very short, uh, shortly before he was crucified. I want you to turn in your Bible to Matthew 23, and we're going to start in verse 16. And I want you to hear what Jesus says to the Pharisees in this passage. Matthew 23, verse 16. In verse 16, he says, Woe to you, blind guides, who say, If anyone swears by the temple, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold in the temple, he is bound by his oath. You blind fools, for which is greater, the gold or the temple that has made the gold sacred? And you say, if anyone swears by the altar, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift that is on the altar, he is bound by his oath. You blind men, for which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? For whoever swears by the altar swears by it and by everything on it. And whoever swears by the temple swears by it and by him who dwells in it. And whoever swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits upon it. You see, Jesus is is reminding again that there are no loopholes. There are no technicalities. God made everything. It all belongs to him. It doesn't matter what you're swearing on. God made it all, and it all has value to him. Again, he is reinforcing the fact that we need to let our yes be yes and our no be no. Now, you're probably um, sitting there thinking, like, I don't really see how all this applies to me because, you know, um, you know, I don't, uh, you know, typically, you know, swear by anything, you know, or anything like that. Um, but I, let's walk back just a little bit. As I, as I was studying through this, when I got to this point, I began to see a common thread in this section in what God values. God values human life. Murder is the ultimate devaluing of life. God values marriage. God values our commitment to one another as husband and wife. Divorce and adultery devalues that commitment. God values truth. He values us speaking truth, and we should speak truth the words from our mouth should be true. There again, I said, well, you're probably thinking, well, you know, I don't lie. And, you know, how does this really apply to me? Well, I'm going to give you a couple of examples. You have a child, and the child has a ball game. And uh, he says to his mom, Mom, are you going to be there at my ball game tonight? Um, the, the, the mom says, yes, I'm going to be there. He said, well, you going to be there? You're going to be there to watch the whole game. Yeah, I'm going to be there to, to watch the whole game. I'll be there. Well, the mom doesn't show up until after halftime. Well, the next week, 
the child says to the mom, Mom, are you going to be there tonight to the, at the beginning of, of my game? The mom says, I swear, son, I promise I'll be there before the game starts. Now, why does she need to swear? Why does she need to say all of that? Because she had already devalued the truthfulness of her words when she didn't show up the first time. Now, think about this. You all have these friends who are always late. Always late. You know, and uh, you say, uh, you're supposed to meet for dinner that night together. And you say, uh, we're going to meet for dinner, yeah, six o'clock, yeah, six o'clock. And you say, are you really going to be there at six o'clock? I swear I'm going to be there at six o'clock. I promise I'm going to be there. Well, why do you need to say that? Because you're, you're typically, your words don't have much value because you're always late. So we are also guilty in our own selves of, of this very, of not being, letting our yes be yes and our no be no and being truthful to what we say. Um, I want you to, uh, John Stott, this is a quote by John Stott, and he, this is what he says. Oath-making is really a pathetic confession of our own dishonesty. We'll read that again. Oath-making, or swearing by, is really a pathetic confession of our own dishonesty. You see, we have to, you know, preface everything with, I promise, oh, I swear, you know, just because our words are not likely to be trusted. God values truthfulness just as much as he values life, as he values our commitment to one another. He, he values truthfulness. What is the problem that we face in our world today? We can't believe anything anybody says. Can you believe what you read online? No. Can you believe um, what you read in the newspaper? No. Can you believe what you see on TV? No. We, you can see easily see how truthfulness has been devalued at every turn in our society. God values life. God values marriage and our commitment. And God values truth. You begin to see that thread as we come as we go through these topics. We live in a society where these things are no longer valued. Life is no longer valued. Commitment, marriage, our words, none of these things hold any value. But ladies, if we're going to be Christians, we're going to be followers of Christ, we're going to be salt and light in this world, then we should value the things that God values. Do you value these things? Are they valuable to you? As followers of Christ, we should value life. We should value our commitments, have value in our marriage, and we should value the things that we say. And then we'll move on to topic number five. And it kind of takes a little turn here. We talk about retaliation and taking a revenge. And we'll begin reading in verse 38. Verse 38 says, You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and, make, and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one 
he would borrow from you. Now, I want to start by just saying that the statement, an eye for an eye or a tooth for a tooth, tooth, originated in the Old Testament, in the books of Exodus, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy. Now, this Old Testament law was given, uh, it was sort of centered around personal injury. Uh, And notice that in, you'll notice in the, these references in the Old Testament, it had to do with physical injury or death. If, if you harm someone in some way physically, or then that same punishment was due to you. But, for instance, it, it, and it was also um, you know, a way to restrain people from taking revenge or justice into their own hands. For example, let's just say someone comes and murders a man. Well, then the wife would not be justified in sending out a posse to kill that man and kill his whole family. So you see, we couldn't, that we're not, it's not keeping, uh, uh, taking justice into our own hand. There are laws for those things. And this is what the eye for an eye and the tooth for a tooth was referring to in the Old Testament. Now, as we come to the New Testament, as Jesus is teaching here on the Sermon on the Mount, he, you know, he, and you notice that he says, you have heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is, who is evil. Here on the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is talking about insults, being treated unfairly, being inconvenienced in some way. He is not talking about physical harm. So this takes on a whole different look. Jesus uses insults, injustices, uh, inconvenience, because more than likely, and I will say without a doubt, Jesus knew his audience, and he knew what was taking place within the people in his audience. So they were applying justice to their own personal issues. Uh, they were taking, um, you know, justice into their own hands. You know, we've all been um, insulted in some way or another. We've all been treated unfairly. Or we've been inconvenienced in some way, all of us. And our nature is when someone insults us or, um, you know, treats us unfairly or whatever, our, our nature is that we're going to seek revenge. And we feel that we're justified by that. I mean, after all, they've insulted us. So what Jesus is teaching us here is that um, he brings a new perspective to this. If someone insults you and you apply an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, what's going to happen? If somebody insults you and you insult them back, what's going to happen? It's going to be an all-out brawl, argument, fighting, you know, You can see what's going to happen. Jesus says, if someone insults you, so what? So what? Turn the other cheek. Just go on. Let it go. The way of humility teaches us it's just better to turn the other cheek. It's just better to move on and not retaliate. Because when we retaliate, we're going to retaliate based on our emotions. And that's not going to be a good thing, is it? And it's certainly not going to reflect Christ. If someone treats you unfairly or unjustly, maybe that that they try to even sue you for something that you're not guilty of. Um, and Or they just think, you know, I, she's, they've got something that I value, and so I'm going to sue them for it. And then he, Jesus uses the tunic. As an example, well, if we go back into the the biblical times, people 
people didn't have a lot of clothes. You know, and a tunic was the, the, the over the covering. And oftentimes that was made out of very more or more valuable, expensive material. And so it was more value to, to, to them. And oftentimes people only had one, one tunic. Well, what Jesus says in this passage is, is that uh, it's just stuff. It's just stuff. If people are going to try to sue you for something like that, just give it to them. Humble yourself. This is your opportunity when people treat you unfairly. This is your opportunity to show and to demonstrate the character of Christ. Oftentimes, oftentimes more than not, we lose our opportunity. Because we react based on our emotions. Jesus says, just give it to them. It's just stuff. Demonstrate the love of Christ. And not only give them your tunic, just go ahead and give them your coat too. That's how we demonstrate the love of Christ. And then he uses the example of carrying the load. You know, back during that time, during the time of the Rome, the Romans, um, in every way that they could, tried to humiliate the Jewish people. And there was a, uh, a law or a rule or something there that they could uh, require, if they were carrying a load, that they could require the Jewish people to carry the load for them for a mile. Well, Jesus says here, Instead of letting your emotions get involved, instead of taking the matters in your own hands, just go ahead and carry it two miles. You see, the point, the point of all of this is how we respond when someone devalues us. When you're devalued, when someone treats you unfairly, when someone uh, is not, uh, uh, you know, they don't uh, value your time or they insult you in some way, how do you respond to that? You see, we're not citizens of this world. We're citizens of the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, we should respond as citizens of the kingdom of heaven. When someone devalues, they're not considerate of us. They rub us the wrong way. It's our nature. It is our human nature to want to retaliate. When we see ourselves being victimized, it makes us angry. It, and we become very annoyed with people who do that. And so how are we going to act? Very rarely are we going to act with the mind of Christ. This is what Jesus, this is the point that he is going to, if we're going to be salt in this world, if we're going to be light in this world, then we must react with you. Humility. We must react in the way of Christ. And ladies, I will tell you, this is extremely difficult. What I'm telling you tonight is something that I struggle with. We all struggle with. But Jesus is teaching us how we should respond in the way of, that Christ would respond. And you're saying, there's no way. There is no way that I could do this. No way. How in the world would I be able to accomplish this? In and of our own flesh? No, we won't. It is the power of the Holy Spirit that indwells us as Christians, as followers of Christ, that allows us to, to respond 
in a way that reflects the glory of God in our life. I want you to turn in your Bibles again to Romans chapter 12. And I want us to look at what Paul says about this very same topic. Romans chapter 12 and verse 17. We're just we're doing a lot of cross-referencing tonight. Romans 12 and verse 17. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourself, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heat burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now, I don't. This doesn't mean that Christians should just um, be a you know a, a doormat to just. There, there were laws during that time, and there are laws today. Um, if there's crimes that have been committed, harm has been done to someone, physical violence or whatever, there are laws in place to protect us and to bring justice. But keep in mind that during this time that the Jewish people had twisted the law and they were seeking ways that they could uh, seek revenge and retaliate. And Jesus knew what they were doing. And that's why he brings this out. And then in verse 42, he says, Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. You know, beggars and borrowers sort of make us feel uncomfortable, don't they? Well, you know, I don't think what Jesus is teaching us here is that we should enable people in their sin. I don't believe that in any way. I don't believe Jesus is telling us that we should allow people to take advantage of us. And and in that we should um, enable them in making unwise decisions. But I do believe that he wants us to consider our motives. We live in a world of hurting people. We live in a world where we have people with all sorts of struggles. And we should have a heart, a heart to help people in these struggles. Not just look the other way. If it is within our ability to help others, we need to do that. We need to be thoughtful. We need to show and demonstrate the love of Christ. I want us to look at verse, we'll continue on in this thought, with, in verse 43. You have heard that it was said, you should love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good. He sends the rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? You see, Jesus was calling these people into action to love and to pray. First, he says that we're to love our enemies. Why? Because that sets us apart as Christians from the world. It helps and it enables the light of Christ to be turned on in our life. You see, it's easy to love people who are like us. But the way of Jesus calls us to love those who aren't like us. 
He even calls us to love our enemies. See, and understand this. Love is not just tolerating people. But it's genuinely loving and praying for those who persecute you. You know, take it, remember, this is at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry. Jesus is preparing his followers because he knows what's coming. He knows the persecution that they're going to fall under. Jesus knew that they would be persecuted, and he wanted to train them, train his followers how to react to the persecution that they were about to face. He was teaching them not only to practice loving their enemy, but to actively pray for them. He is saying that, you know, they should pray for their, not just pray that their enemies wouldn't be mean to them, but to pray that God would bless their enemies. Bless their enemies. And not only that, that they would come to know God. They would come in agreement with God. You said, this message is very convicting. It's very convicting to me because it's through godly love and prayer that we resemble our Father in heaven. Do we resemble our Father in heaven? In Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, he says, Let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Verse 45, he says, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of the Father who is in heaven. As a son of God, as a son of the Father, we should bear resemblance in how we respond to others. Can, tell, can others identify us as a son of God, as a daughter of God, by the way that we respond to other people? There was a question asked, who is your neighbor? Well, we learned the answer to that through the parable of the Samaritan. The Pharisees were testing Jesus and asking him what he thought the law said. And you know, he answers them. It says to love your Lord, love the Lord your God with all your heart and your soul and your mind and strength and love them, your neighbor as yourself. And then the Pharisees follow up and say, well, who exactly is your neighbor? Because he's the Jewish people, you know, uh, in their mind, their neighbor was another Jew. If you weren't a Jew, they weren't uh, you obligated to them in any way. Well, I want you to turn into your Bible to Luke chapter 10. More cross-referencing tonight. And we're going to read the story of the Good Samaritan. And hopefully this will be also be very enlightening to us. We're going to look at Luke chapter 10, verse 25. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said, What's written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You should love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind, and your strength, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you shall live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers, who stripped him, beat him, and departed, leaving him half dead. And by chance, a priest was going down the road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And likewise, a Levite. When he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion 
And he went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And he set him on his own animal and brought him to to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said, you go and do likewise. You see, your neighbor is anyone that God places in your path. Anyone that God places in your path. Jesus says to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. This is pretty hard. You know, and it's pretty hard. Let me tell you, to to, to hate someone that you're praying for. Try. You pray for someone diligently every day that you have a problem with, and God will change your heart. I want to um, give a, an example here. Maybe this will be a little more helpful to you. Um, and maybe some of you can share as well examples in your life. Um, about probably close to 10 years ago, um, I had a young lady who um, reached out to me in the counseling ministry. And she had turned in her PDI and, and all, and I had read it, and we had set up a time to meet, and she came. She walked through the door, and she just burst into tears and was just crying so much that I I couldn't I really uh, get anything out of her. And so finally, after a little while, we got she calmed down a little bit, and we began to, to talk. And um, she began to kind of let me know kind of more what was going on. And uh, this young lady was right out of college. She had just graduated from college. She was a first-year teacher, and she had only been teaching school for two weeks. And um, she was just crying her eyes out. Well, she, um, and, and probably to add to this, she, she worked for a district that allowed parents to choose which classroom that their kids went the te- to choose their teacher. Which, what happened? Now, just think about this. What happens if you are a first-year teacher? Is anybody going to pick you for your kid to be in their, your class? Well, no. Nobody even knows you exist. And so who do you think you're going to be left with? You can imagine. Okay? Now, so she's, she's coming in and, and things are just have gone completely awry in two weeks. And she is crying and, you know, I said, I, I've got to turn this around. We, we've got to, get, we got to get this turned around. And so I asked her, I said, have you prayed for these children? I mean, well, she had some tales, you know, was it was going on with these kids. You know, I said, have you prayed for them? She, she stopped and she looked at me and she said, no. I said, have you prayed for their parents? I said, because without a doubt, there's some crazy stuff going on in those homes. I said, have you prayed for their parents? She said, no. And then I said, do you love these children? And she looked at me for a long time and she said, no, I don't think I do. So we turned to the passage in Matthew and we began to read this. And her homework that week was that every single day she was to fall on her knees and she was to pray and mention by name every student that was in her class. Pray for them. Pray for what they need, their needs. Pray for them to 
desire to learn. Pray for them in their home life. Pray for their parents. And that she was to demonstrate in somewhat every day love for those children that came into that room. Because the reality is, even though this district had this crazy plan of letting the parents choose the the teacher, what I wanted her to understand is every kid that walked in her door, God put them there. God put those children in her room. And so as she began to, to, you know, do this, and and I met with her the next week, and um, she said things were, were, were better. Then we began working on um, classroom management and just some of those things that, that she needed to know. But what happened between the second week of school and Christmas break was amazing. And that was God. And where did it start? Did it start with me teaching her classroom management skills? Not really. It started with her praying, praying for those children, praying that they come to know Christ and that she be an example to Christ to them, praying and loving those children despite their behavior. As the the year come to a close, She had a whole different outlook. She had developed love for these children. She had developed. um, She could no longer hate these children because she'd been praying for them every day for a year. But not only that, those kids loved her. They loved her. And they were sad to leave at the end of the year. God worked in a miraculous way through love. I know that might not have been the best example, but maybe some of you have an example of where love and prayer changed the situation. Just remember, if you'd like to share, you'll come right over here to this microphone and face that camera. Um, As you're just thinking about um, what you might want to share, I did get to have the privilege of meeting with Versi over Christmas break. And um, I see I've already heard this lesson once. So that just means I obviously needed a double dose of it. And I can tell you um, that I agree. I, um, I work in a school, so I can definitely relate to what Mercy's sharing about those kids that God places in our classrooms. But hitting a little bit closer to home, um, you know, a lot of times the people who we are inconvenienced by the most are those the closest to us, right? They're the, the ones who maybe live in our home or are in our family, And um, God definitely has um, convicted me through this lesson of just some of those who need the most from me. Am I demonstrating humility by serving them? Sometimes it is easier, right, to serve and love those who don't need as much from us. Um, You know, it's easier to love those kids who bring you the... the, um, you know, the Starbucks gift cards every Friday or whose parents drop off the Sonic drinks in the line or whatever. And then also hitting closer to home, um, you know, our, our children in our home or whoever it is that's closest to us, those, you know, in, in my home, there's one child in particular who needs a lot more from me. Do I humble myself in serving him and in the way that I love him and reflect, do I reflect the love of Christ 
when I um, train him and discipline him and whenever it feels um, like so much. I think we could all probably think of different examples, but, um, you know, in our jobs, also, though, in our lives, I do think that sometimes when, um, you know, we think about being um, treated unfairly or we feel like we're being treated unfairly or inconvenienced because we are being asked to give so much of ourselves for those who are closest to our lives, um, you know, that is truly our opportunity. That's our very first and most important mission field, right? And then, of course, it extends to um, anyone who God places in our path. So really put, put this scripture in a different light and in a different context for me as I was studying through it. Did anybody else have anything they wanted to share? I know it's intimidating and a little bit awkward to come up, but. Okay, we'll just continue to be thinking about those things. Thank you, Dinah. Oh, okay, um, come on up. Hold on one second, Mercy. Thank you. <laughs> Gotta come all the way over here. <laughs> Hi guys, my name's Jackie. Uh, I kind of just wanted to reflect over this because lately a lot, kind of like what she's been talking about, is you got to like live your life through Christ and whatnot. And I kind of tell people that like if you know that you're living your life right, then whatever anyone tells you, it shouldn't bother you. Like even if you know that they're wrong, but you're living your life 100% through Christ, you're doing what you need to do, then um, you just need to... Keep, keep pushing, because, you know, there's always going to be those thoughts and those people that are going to bring you down, but even those people, you need to kind of pray over them and just kind of forgive them for whatever they're going through and just, you know, keep pushing forward, and that kind of just reflected on me, because I say it a lot to a lot of people, because they're like, well, what if they don't like me anymore, or I did this, and I did that, and you just got to, you know, pray about it and keep walking, and, you know, live your life the way you and God talk about, not the way that you and other people see you as. But that's it. Very true. Well, if there isn't anyone else who who wants to share, we'll conclude tonight our lesson Um, we'll begin in verse 45 and it says he makes his sun rise on evil and on good and he sends rain on the just and on the unjust for if you love those who love you what reward do you have do not even the tax collectors do the same you see God sends good things on both the evil and on the good he sends blessings on the just and the unjust and the example that he uses is rain Rain was important back in that time because their crops depended on the rain. God sent rain to the just and to the unjust. Our blessings, ladies, are not determined by our goodness or our sinfulness. God chooses to bless us because he chooses to bless us. It's not dependent on our goodness or our sinfulness. It's God's choice. Verse 48, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, I want want to make sure that we're taking this in context. The word perfect doesn't mean sinless or flawless in this text. Jesus is talking about our spiritual maturity. As Jesus leads us down the path of growing and changing, as we become more sanctified and we become more like Christ, 
we're more able to imitate God in extending his blessings to others, extending his blessing to other people through love and through our prayers, both to those who are evil and to those who are good, both to the just and to the unjust. That's the way of Christ. That's the way of humility. If there's nothing else, I'll pray tonight and then uh, we'll close. I want to say again how much I appreciate you coming and just being able to work this out. You know, maybe I can be there uh, next month. I'm just having a little struggles with, uh, you know, my being able to, to walk. And so uh, maybe we can work it out and I can be there or at least part of the time uh, with a wheelchair. But uh, if there's nothing else, we'll close tonight in prayer. And again, I pray a special blessing over all of you. Heavenly Father, what powerful words we have heard tonight. My prayer is that we are not like the Pharisees who only desire the appearance of honoring you and the appearance of being obedient. But we would truly have a heart for Christ, a heart that values the things that you value so that we can be a light. We can be salt and light in this evil world. We can be representatives for you in this world. The people would be able to identify us as sons and daughters of God by the way that we respond to things that happen to us in our life. Heavenly Father, we thank you for all of your, the blessings that you give us, those that we don't even deserve. And Lord, we don't really deserve anything. We thank you for those blessings. Heavenly Father, I pray that you'd forgive us of our sin. For we ask all of these things in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We love you. Thank you so much. I love you, each and every one of you. All right, ladies, thank you for being here tonight. We'll see you next month.